This is the Future of Money, a podcast where we hope to educate and get educated about the new world of blockchain and digital money. And my name is Eric Denbor, and I will be your host. Hi, and welcome back to yet another episode of Blockchain and the Future of Money. Today, I have with me Jacob. He is a writer for Crypto Briefing, and we have, of course, like always, Lee, the beautiful Lee. But before we start, let me go ahead uh, go ahead and introduce yourself a little. Yeah, hi, everybody. My name is Jacob Oliver. I am the U.S. editor at Crypto Briefing. We're um, uh, obviously an online um, daily news publication uh, writing in the Web3 blockchain cryptocurrency space. We're kind of a, what you'd call a degen publication. Uh, I don't, is that terminology familiar to you? I am not no. familiar with yeah. it, no. Degen, okay, so uh, that's sort of crypto slang for degenerate, and it means it's sort of people who are uh, revel in the sort of anti-establishment, mm, anti-authoritarian. Well, kind yeah, of. just sort of not really interested in rules. Uh, that's the, the kind of attitude that degens bring with them to things, um, which sort of <laughs> um, dovetails quite nicely with uh, a lot of the crypto space. So yeah, um, find us at cryptobriefing.com and uh, I'm local to Arkansas and I found Eric here and I'm here to so I understand that you guys actually have people in London and That's in right. New York. and So this is almost like a world. It is. Thing, it's international. Right? We have people in London and in India. Um, in, um, oh, not Panama. Um, Costa Rica. Um, all over the world, yeah. And you're yeah. the U.S. editor? Yes. I mean, the U.S. time zone editor. Like, okay, yeah. <laughs> we organize things by time zone, so yeah. So, and you're in northwest Arkansas, which is interesting. Was That's that, right. Is that a purposeful placement or did semi, it end up semi-purposeful yeah, yeah my wife's family is from rogers so okay. um i am i'm also doing a phd out in the university of washington seattle so i was out there for a few years but i gravitated back towards arkansas for family reasons yeah. so this okay. is not a bad place to be no it's not it's especially about reporting on crypto and, oh, yeah, and yeah. new spaces because mm -hmm. there's a lot of innovation that's happening here yeah so i've been very interested yeah, in what's been going this on. northwest arkansas is fantastic i've noticed you know, when it just comes to blockchain and crypto and all that kind of stuff. Talking about that, we are actually going to be talking a little bit about scams and hacks and exploits and, of course, other nefarious activities in the cryptocurrency space. So, I have a little bit of background data to work on. So, from 2010 to this date, there's about $10.5 billion stolen in the cryptocurrency space. And to make a little bit of comparisons with other things, I want to take up, like for instance, scam calls. In the first six months of 2021, there was $29.9 billion in just scam calls. And when it comes to credit card frauds, there has been an estimated 9.5 billion in US alone. And in worldwide, for that same year, they were counting on about $24.5 billion and they're actually estimating that to be $40 billion by 2027. And then we have identity thefts, and that cost a round number of $25.6 billion in 2020, and they're counting on that going higher. So just to make comparisons, yes, you know, there were Bitcoin have been stolen, 10.5, but you gotta remember that was from 2010, because that was when the first Bitcoins mm -hmm. were started until today. So, so in 12 years, it's yes. only been $10 billion. It's not only, I would say. But well, when we're still, comparing, yeah. but also the volume's been a lot lower than yes. the volume of dollars, you know. Yeah. 
So yeah, and, and with now, I mean, I didn't even take in bank frauds and you know other things. So we, so in in the big scheme of things, yes, it's a very small amount of money in the big scheme of things, but it's still big enough that I think it is v- worth it to take it up and talk a little bit about it. So there are a couple of different scams that we can talk about. They're they're called rug pulls. And uh, we can talk about that as we talk about the different uh, scams that have happened. We have seed phrase phishing that has to do with your wallets, for instance. Mm. And then you have what's called whales and pump and dumps. But let's start with one of the big ones that happened, the index finance attack in 2021. Do you remember any of that? Yeah, I was just getting started at Crypto Briefing when this happened, and it was kind of a trial by fire. Uh, moment for me because it was an incredibly complex exploit. Um, like lo- the short story is uh, basically a user posed in the community discord to um, he posed to somebody who was interested in developing on the platform. And through doing this, he was able to uh, essentially read the code and study it for vulnerabilities. Uh-huh. Um, and then he was able to execute this uh, and also this kid, I think, was 17, 18? He uh, was 18, yes. 18, yeah. Because um, he, he ended up taking credit for what he had done. And, um, yeah, he executed this uh, series of, like, this is far too complicated to get into here, but like a series of flash loans that, um, have you talked about flash loans on the show? No, Let's no, not get into it. We, we can talk about that <laughs> later on. Yeah, but basically, you might remember more about it than I do, but basically through a series of really elaborate exploitative transactions in, that he crushed into like a single block. He was able to drain something like $16 million. Um, yes. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and basically, if I remember right, that was a flaw in the code. Yeah. 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 Right. And he he so he 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 went in and started asking around and went in all the discords and talking to the people in know and then eventually figured out that hold on a second, there's a flaw in this. Mm-hmm. So let's see if we can use that. And that's what he did. Yeah. And if I remember right, and I'm like you, it's been a little while, but uh, he was a young mathematician from Canada, mm-hmm. and uh, he found that vulnerability and he used that. But he never uh, hid. I mean, well, it took a little while for them to figure out who it was. But once they figured out who it was, he just, yeah, this is me. What are you going to do about it? And, yeah. What yeah. did happen? What did they do about it? Is there well, anything you could do? I think the the case is ongoing. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that they're not allowed to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> while gotcha. it's ongoing. Um, Didn't you guys interview him for the magazine? We interviewed the no, we interviewed the founders of oh, the founders. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you guys do show notes? I can provide a link to that. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, we did a pretty in depth uh, interview with them. They figured it out what was happening basically at the same time everybody else was, um, and it took them about eight hours, like immediately following the attack, to uh, do a post mortem. Um, and uh, if I remember correctly, they ended up remembering that, oh, we were talking to the suspicious character in the Discord. He was asking all of these questions about the code and what, yeah. <laughs> suspicious questions, right? Yeah. So they ended up being able to track this guy and sort of put together this was who was responsible for it. Wow. But he ended up, uh, if I were, also if I recall correctly, um, the exploit, just so that we're not just saying, oh, there was this exploit, what did he actually do? He manipulated the prices and the yeah. token pools, which able, allowed him to... Um, uh, basically make trades and mint native tokens. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. This is all very complicated. Yeah, but it's a little bit complicated, yeah. But yeah, so basically in this in this case, uh, the reason why I pointed this one out is, <clears throat> excuse me, is because in this case it was a code. Yeah. It was a flaw in the code. Someone used, you know, 
uh, the code to manipulate it and then eventually got money because uh, I think he even said something to a reporter and he said, well, you can't do anything because code is law. Mm -hmm. And he's still leaning back on that. Yeah, code is law is uh, kind of a mantra in the, yeah. the deep degen community. Like these are the people who will tell you that, again, I don't mean to speak for anybody else, but there is a... <laughs> A coterie of people who think that if the if something is allowable within the codes within the code of a blockchain, then it is allowable. Um, right? There's no wrong if it's possible, I guess. Yeah. 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 yeah okay. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's like if there's a flaw, we can use exploit it to it. our yeah. We can exploit yeah. it. Yeah. yeah exactly. And a lot of these like decentralized finance protocols, when you log onto them for, or when you go to the the interface for the first time, it will display a box telling you that, you know, you understand this is an experimental software, that by putting funds into the software, you are assuming all the risk, that all the money might disappear, yeah. and so on and so forth. Wow. So people are able to at least partially hide behind that and say, well, people knew the risk, and, right. you know, this is... You Very know, similar to cigarette packages, where yeah. it says, yeah, you can get cancer, so smoke if you want to, right? That's right. Um, so the extent to which people have a leg to stand on yeah. um, is... Very small. ...questionable. Yeah. 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 Uh, interesting. But yeah, he didn't, uh, he insists, he didn't, like, it's, it's this is where um, the language between, the difference between exploit and a hack is really important. Yes. Because uh, a hack is when the security of a, of a system is actually compromised from the outside. And an exploit just involves using the code as it's allowable, but maybe not necessarily intended. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So, so I wonder, though, and I don't want to get too much in this. No, no, that's fine. But he was allowed in by the group, right? I mean, is there is it difficult to see this code? Did he do anything nefarious to have access to the code? This is where it starts to get a little opaque for me because my background was in English education. So when it comes to reading code, I um, I'm with I, you. It's like deciphering the Rosetta Stone to me. Sure. But um, I don't know. Maybe you, Eric, can speak a little bit more about this. But the open the blockchain code is open source typically. So okay. it's so it's like, just available. It's available. Yeah. Like if you yeah. know how to access it, you can read it. It's I not. Gotcha. It's typically yeah. not hidden. And, and that is the thing with blockchain is that blockchain is open source. Mm -hmm. It is for everybody to come in and you know look at it and exploit it and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and in a sense, that's maybe a, a, a vulnerability. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, that's also a good thing. And that's why, it, if I may, I, I, I'm going to make a very good or quick comparison uh, between uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Cardano, for instance. Bitcoin was made very simple, where you can do uh, adding things. It's technically like the, the mousetrap. This is it. This is what it looked like. You can make a better one, but this is the way it's going to work always. Therefore, Bitcoin has never been hacked mm. because it's so simple. It's so you can do whatever you want on top of it, but you can't really do anything to the to the code. Ethereum, on the other hand, when they then started implementing smart contracts. There was a vulnerability in the first smart contracts, so someone used that vulnerability and then exploited it, and that's why today we have something called Ethereum Classic and Ethereum. So Ethereum Classic is still the old one that mm -hmm. was exploited, mm -hmm. and the new Ethereum is is where they fixed the problem, so to speak. Cardano, on the other hand, is one of those uh, uh, blockchains that have been very very careful and said, let's do it right from the beginning. And then as we build on it, we, we test it and try it in every different angle. And once we see that, hey, you know what, this seems to be working, then we release the next step. Mm -hmm. And that's why Cardano's taken, what is it, seven years to even get to where we are today. 
So those those are the things when it comes to blockchain. Anyway, we have so much to talk about. Yeah. I want to go into the next one. OneCoin. Mm-hmm. OneCoin was basically, a f- they created this fake coin and they, they even said, oh, it's going to be the Bitcoin killer. And it was built on this Ponzi scheme by, uh, uh, I think she was Russian. Bulgarian, I think. Yes, that's right. And if I under, if I remember right, she's actually now on um, FBI's top 10. You bet she is. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I think in, in this case, on the one coin thing, I want to point out greed, hmm. which is another you know uh, way people are. They want to get into this making money and all that kind of stuff. And so they go in and, yeah, I want to buy this. But what they don't realize is that maybe this is not as good as we thought it would be. Mm. But they just want, if I'm in, in the beginning, then I can make a, a ton load of money. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, yeah, OneCoin. OneCoin was, I read up on OneCoin this morning a little bit to re- refresh mm-hmm. my memory. Like, and it, because I re- seem to recall it being a Ponzi scheme. Yes. And when I read about it, I was like, oh yeah, this was a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> and it was uh, structured, it had this very strange structure with the, its own coin um, that was redeemable um, through a very complex method of having, first you had to, you, you would buy the coin, but then you had to buy a subscription for these educational materials that were supposed to walk you through the crypto ecosystem, right? You know, it's mm-hmm. very sort of MLM kind of, mm-hmm. you know, you get into this level and then you, you pay for this level of access yeah. and then- Unlock the next level. Right, and then you gotta unlock yeah. the next level. And as you progressed, or something like this, as you progressed to the levels, you could un- unlock more of the token. And it, you know, obviously required more money coming in than what's going out, and this is the textbook definition of a totally. Ponzi scheme. Um, it began getting, I, I forgot, I think it was 2014 yeah, when it was right. founded. Yeah. And by 2016, 2017, you know, every government in the world was saying, no, yeah. <laughs> no, you can't do this. Um, they got shut down and they, they were based in Bulgaria. They were closed down there. Um, eventually, like, d- d- it she's, she's gone. She, she's gone now. She disappeared. Yeah. Uh, some of her um, uh, cohorts were arrested yeah, but uh, I think her brother if I remember right. yeah it was her brother um, she's still missing she's still at large yeah. she was she was booked on a flight to Athens and I think if I remember right and then somewhere on the flight or maybe she wasn't on the flight or from that point there she's gone yeah and there's a lot of speculations what happened there or where is you know it's like whatever. yeah and this is a great example of a predatory um, company taking advantage of people's ignorance. Mm-hmm. Like th- they were deliberately targeting people who wanted to know more, um, by, and they promised them these educational materials that yes. were fraudulent, and I think mostly plagiarized, um, the ones that they did actually provide. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, because these people knew nothing about interacting with blockchain, they didn't know mm-hmm. any alternative ways of getting involved, so they just kind of trusted this company that brought them, here, we'll teach you how to do it. All you have to do is you know, sign up for X subscription. Mm-hmm. And um, from there, yeah. um, we were so in early wow. stages, 2014 and so yeah. on. So, you know, people that had heard about this, they knew Bitcoin was going to rise in value. I think it was uh, right before, uh, after that Bitcoin had gone from pretty much nothing to $1,000 a Bitcoin or something like that, mm-hmm. or, or maybe even mm-hmm. eight. I can't remember, but somewhere in, in that area. And then people started going, oh, wait a second. 
if this one is going to be a Bitcoin killer and Bitcoin went from 10 cents to $8,000, mm-hmm. I will get it now at 10 cents and at $8,000 I'm a multimillionaire, right? Yeah. So that's where the, the greed part comes in. Frankly, I'm surprised that that hasn't happened more. I mean, it just seems like people would would use the Ponzi scheme model to get, because I would say, I mean, who knows? There's people who know about cryptocurrency and Web3 and blockchain, and then there's this huge amount of people who might be curious and don't know that much, and then there's folks who don't know at all and, I guess, don't care to know. But I'm surprised that that middle group that's pretty vulnerable, there hasn't been more, honestly, like the one coin. It just sounds like it's... I'm, I- Go ahead. I was going to say, I'm kind of of the opposite view. Really? I'm surprised it happens as much as it does because a Ponzi scheme is, by definition, unsustainable. Like, you will get caught. Like, yeah, this is true. Um, and to try to think that you are going to somehow magically finagle the numbers in such a way that it doesn't eventually blow up in your face, it, it, it frankly surprises me. Like, yeah, it's a wonderful way of uh, making a short-term grift. Yeah, bilking some people out of some money. Yeah, yeah. but, you know... People this. love to do that. <laughs> yeah, and I guess maybe it is a lack of foresight on behalf of people who are willing to do it. But, um, yeah. you know, it, maybe it is surprising it doesn't happen more frequently. But it, Well, it doesn't. If Of all the, like, vulnerabilities, and I'm sure there's more that we'll talk about, that does seem like it's probably not the best path to go. Because if you can go in and find vulnerabilities in the code, then mm-hmm. you can get a lot more money and be undetected. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But you have to really no. know what you're doing yeah, to exactly. be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, well, with a Ponzi scheme like this, though, it's going to be the people that sits on the top mm-hmm. that actually gains from it, mm-hmm. and then the the people at the bottom, and and uh, so when it comes to code, it's usually one or two. But in a Ponzi scheme, you can have maybe the hundred people on the top that actually gains from it, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Well, Bitfinex. Let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Bitfinex was a 2016 hack, and 12,000 bitcoins were stolen out of users' wallets. Mm-hmm. And this hack was a little bit different because that wasn't really just the code that was hacked. What they did, the guys that actually did the Bitfinex and everything, they were doing the, the, their diligence mm-hmm. in keeping the safe. But they used a third party to go through for people to you know, take your money, from the bank, go to the third party, and then add them into Bitfinex. So let's talk more about that. Yeah, this one was complicated too. And it was like, there there are a lot of missing pieces yes. in, in this one. Um, because when I tried review, refreshing my memory on what happened with the Bitfinex hack, it was kind of, you know, a little, the internet was a little cagey <laughs> uh, information because mm-hmm. I'm not sure that they, do they actually know who is responsible? There's, so there are these two folks who were arrested a couple yes, months ago. Th- there, I have to say that it, look into Bitfinex yes. and look, look at the people that were behind it because these are very colorful people. Yes. Um, her name is Razzle Khan. That's her. Oh, rap, yeah, that's right. Rap that, that, was that her hip hop name? Yeah, or? that's her hip hop name. Yeah. I've forgotten her real name because she's yeah. Razzle Khan to me. Um, she and her, um, her husband, um, or had been, were charged a few months ago, I think February or so. Um, yes, they just, were trying to launder. Yeah, they were trying to launder the money. Mm. And there was no information on whether or not they were responsible for the hack itself. But they had, um, they basically the DOJ or the FBI or someone was able to decrypt some encrypted documents that this fellow had on his devices yeah. and that contained the seed, phase, seed phrases for the 
stolen funds. Wow. And they okay. okay. So whether or not they actually executed the hack. Mm, but they've got the money. They've got some of the money. Yeah. Uh, it's very interesting because if you look, uh, if you go online and read a little bit about that, it seems that there might have been a third party involved. Right. And he was the brain behind it. And then these people also. So he, he got away with some of it. And, and the way they actually uh, were caught was that the Bitcoin community kept track of the wallets mm -hmm. that were, you know, where does these coins go to and all that kind of stuff. And so the Bitcoin community was st constantly keeping track on it. And what when they found something new going on, they sent it to FBI and so on and so forth. So yeah. eventually, uh, it was actually the Bitcoin community that caught them. Technically. Yeah. And this is... This is a little bit of an aside from what we said we were going to talk about, but I think it's too important not to mention. Okay. Um, so, yes, when you steal money on a blockchain, it goes to a wallet that is observable on a public blockchain. What do you do with it? How do I move it to an exchange? How do I get it to my bank account? How can I not get caught spending this money? So um, there have been the development of these tools called mixers or blenders, which basically um, obscure the line of transactions. Mm. On Ethereum, there was one called Tornado Cash that, and I, well, I say was, it still exists, but Tornado Cash was an Ethereum mixer that could uh, take ETH from one wallet, basically move it through a metaphorical tornado, like it split the transactions into... In, okay, so really quick to explain this, the way it works is that uh, if we all three here have wallets with coins in there, we want it, we then throw them in the middle, yeah. and we just mix it together, and then we'll just take the money and back, just right? take three yeah. out of the thing. And then, yeah, so, yeah, let's say, yeah, that's, that's exactly idea. right. So what happens then is that we get our, the amount of money back, but it's mixed between all the three of us, and then it's the harder to... Yeah, you can't trace yeah. it. Okay. It's, it's much harder to, to trace. Yeah. Where, yeah, that's a very good analogy. Anyway, Tornado Cash did this with uh, cryptocurrency, with ETH specifically, and this week, um, it was sanctioned by the U.S. Treasury Department. So now um, Tornado Cash is considered a sanctioned entity. Wow. You cannot yeah. uh, interact with it. You really you should not go to the website. You should not have anything to do with Tornado Cash. Um, so if you want to be in trouble, go there. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, know. I can't, can't, can't recommend it if you're a U.S. person or U.S. entity. Um, but um, Tornado Cash was a favorite tool of North Korean hackers. Oh, yeah, this, that's right. And maybe this leads into our next, yes, our final we, topic. We'll get to that. Yes. Okay. Um, but yeah, um, that was one of the reasons Tornado Cash was sanctioned by the t State Department or by the Treasury Department is that North Korean hackers, were, it was a favorite tool for draining ETH from different, uh, different protocols and then laundering the money yeah. and making it disappear. Hmm. Well, since we're on that topic, let's yeah. just continue then into Axie Infinity. Mm -hmm. They lost $540 million in a technically sufficient Yeah. So let's just keep going. Then, okay, so this one um, was, I think, the biggest DeFi hack of all time. Yes, um, DeFi, what is that? De DeFi is decentralized finance. And what it means is that uh, rather than an intermediary that's a bank or a, a fund or a lender or something like that, the in only intermediary between you and your counterparty is the code on the blockchain. Hmm. So the smart contract executes all the lending arrangements, all the borrowing arrangements, et cetera. Whatever it is you're doing, the code executes it. So that's... And, and, you know, because it's on a blockchain and ostensibly spread out over several nodes, it's decentralized. So yes, yeah. gotcha. um, no single point of failure in theory and so yeah. on and so forth. So but you have to be very careful what you write in the smart contract. Then. Yes, you have to be very careful what you write in the smart contract because um, <laughs> it can be there can be vulnerabilities right. there. Um, hence the warning. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So in so Axie Infinity is a very popular um game built on the Ethereum network. I guess it's technically on the Ronin. Or yeah, yeah. 
we can go into that yeah, in details, but yes, Ronan is involved with this, but it's Ethereum. We'll right? say it was, yeah, it's the Ethereum network uh, project. It has its own token. It's a game that involves trading. Uh, I never played. It was like trading cards and ma making. Yeah, yeah it's uh, you have little animals, and yeah, basically like, you can breed them and you can trade them in between and all that kinds of stuff. Yeah, so like a Pokemon Magic yeah. Gathering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Po there's, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, very popular. A lot of developing countries. Uh, it became popular there for as as a means of income for uh, people who were you know otherwise unemployed, um, and. Um, it too has been, its economic model has been criticized as being maybe mildly scammy in its own way, mm -hmm. but that's another subject for another. Kind of like scratch off tickets are kind of. Well, it, it also had imagine. a lot to do with more money coming in than maybe was going out. Gotcha. Um, yeah, that's true. Um, but anyway, uh, Axie, very, very popular game. Um, they were exploited for this $550 million exploit. Nobody really knew what happened until really July. Um, and it turns out that um, we, we knew, well, it slowly became known that North Korean hackers, a group called Lazarus Group, um, which is a very prolific hacking exploit group within the blockchain space, um, had executed this attack on Axie Infinity by um, <laughs> advertising a fake job offer. They basically offered one of the yeah. senior engineers um, a job at a company that didn't exist uh -huh. and, you know, went through the interview process and the calls and all this kind of stuff. And when he accepted it, or when he got to the point where he was on the hook, they sent him a job offer letter. That was a PDF. So when he opened it, that contained malware that um, got into his machine, was able to read seed phrases, and was able to take over yeah. um, the validators of the network. And once that happened, you can wow. do whatever you want. I want to say that that is a combination of a phishing and hack. Almost, yeah. Because phishing was that we're trying to lure you in, mm -hmm. yeah. right? And then once we have you in, then we actually send you the hack. Yeah. So. Uh, co contrary to phishing, where they are going out and saying, hey, we're going to help you with your bitcoins or whatever it is. If you just send me your seed phrase, seed phrase, remember, is actually your, the key to your wallet. So never give that away. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Number one rule. And uh, that, that is the difference between that phishing, yeah. uh, seed phrase phishing, and this kind of phishing. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. That feels really, I don't know, there's something about sending it in the offer letter that's just like really Slimy. Yeah. Yeah. personal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the thing that, you know, is so interesting about this is just that there is actually uh, a country, and we do know that even China and even in Russia, they even have departments that are doing nothing but trying to send scams and hacking and all that kind of stuff. And, and although we do know that this actually happens in the crypto space, Remember, it happens way, way much more when it comes to phone scams or, or uh, you know, uh, taking someone's personal IDs and, uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff. As I said earlier, I mean, if you if you add up the numbers from credit cards, identity and, and phone scams, we're talking about 60, 70 billion dollars. Mm. That's humongous sums that are going. And in a lot of cases, they go to these things. So it makes you wonder sometimes is that, okay, North Korea doesn't really have a way to get money in. Maybe this is their way. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Well, that, that's probably something for another <laughs> episode. Um, anyway, go on. Uh, Axie Infinity. Um, yeah, I mean, um, there's, not, there's not too much more to say except... Um, they got $500 million. Yeah, the guy yeah. was fired. <laughs> yeah, 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 there wasn't um, a job. <laughs> I forgot. They had some kind of plan to... 
I forgot what the, every time one of these exploits happens, there's always a postmortem plan, right? Yes. And they're going to try to either issue tokens to make the users whole or get the money back. Or sometimes they literally just beg the hacker to give the money back. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, we, we had some other, other uh, you know, recently we had some uh, uh, where, where we had, uh, trying to remember, um, anyway, I can't remember right now, but it was other with, with some of the exchanges. Uh, uh, Tether is a form of almost not really a hack, but where the bank just collapsed. And th that's more of whalers and pumps and dumps. I'm going to just mention whalers. Uh, a whaler within the cryptocurrency is someone that owns a wallet that has tons of cryptocurrency in it, right? So let's say that you own uh, 100,000 Ethereum. And what you do is that, you know, when it gets really, really high, you start selling all of them. The market then reacts by going, oh, wait a second, are we seeing a crash going? Mm. So they're starting to sell theirs. So now the price goes way, 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 way down. The guy that was selling that 100,000 Ethereum, he just sits on the money and waits until it goes down to the bottom. And then he buys again. So now he goes in and buys for millions and millions of dollars. And the market, of course, greed. People go, oh, the price is going up. I'm going to buy again. And though, though, that's called a pump and dump. When they actually, they sell everything they have at the top, it crashes down and they buy everything at the bottom. So, mm -hmm. yeah. The other form of pump and dumps that's, that you can't, we can't go without mentioning is like the celebrity-based tokens yes. that, um, and this could be any token, any, any token. Um, I'm going to use a, I'm going to use a slightly charged example, the Let's Go Brandon token, oh, yeah. which is uh, obviously based on a colorful epitaph about Joe Biden. Right. Um, that was the, the uh, what was the name of the racer? Brandon, what's his I name? Brandon, Brandon race car. Yeah. Um, endorsed this token, right? Like, and it briefly pumped. Yeah. And I don't know what, if, I don't know if you made any money on it or whatever, but it pumped and then everybody recognized that this was, you know, a goofball idiot thing that has no fundamental no, value. Yeah. And, you know, very quickly. And there have been a lot of celebrities that are being, uh, if not charged, but I think T.I. was actually charged. With, really? Uh, uh, yeah, I don't, don't, I don't, don't quote me on that. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of celebrities being um, investigated for, you know, endorsing. Uh, I think the ones that are investigated, if I remember right from an article I read, is the ones that actually were involved from the beginning. Because there's a lot of, uh, you know, f f famous people that get involved with like an NFT or a project, but that's, you know, almost by the end of it. And they, they mm -hmm. get, you know, oh, you get X amount of money if you go in and endorse this. Yeah. And then they go in and endorse and had no idea that they were actually endorsing something that was built to just defraud people. Yeah, there was one last year, I think it was called Ethereum Max. Does that ring a bell? I think yes. That was yes. a very, uh, look up mm -hmm. Ethereum Max if you're curious about how this all works, because that's a yeah, good perfect example, example of. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I, I, I do want to say, you know, we mentioned DeFi, decentralized, decentralized finance. Uh, I, it's, it's such an interesting um, thing to talk about. Uh, I think we should come back and have another episode mm -hmm. and just focus on the DeFi, how that works and how we, you know, uh, the, the inner operations of DeFi. There's an, and I want to, uh, I'll do some research too so that I know what sort of I'm talking about. But uh, John Bozeman, Senator John Bozeman from Arkansas has, has um, is starting to try to build a coalition to address cryptocurrency regulation. Yes. yes. Um, so that's interesting that there's an Arkansas senator that's yep. actually the one that is putting himself out in front of it. I haven't read what 
you know, any details about it. But obviously, people are starting to react. I mean, I've been, we've been waiting. We've been talking yeah. about when the U.S. government is going to actually and start to recognize this as something that needs to be regulated for the future. And then, of course, all the implications and questions that come yes. out of that. Yeah, it is needed. He's, um, he's a co-sponsor of a bill. Right. Um, the one, let's see, it's a, it would put um, Bitcoin and Ethereum under the Commodities Future Trading Commission mm-hmm. rather than the SEC. Yeah. Um, and it would also provide some kind of guideline for how do you make the determination, is this token a security? Is this token a, a commodity? Is this token something else entirely? And that's another episode. That, yes. th- th- we're definitely going to go back and we will we will talk about DeFi uh, in a future episode. So till then, thank you guys for joining us and we will see you at the next episode. Thank you. <laughs>